Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Yeah, this is a picture of what Andre Risen's mansion looked like when Left Eye burned it down oh, when she was mad at him. Sure. So this is an aerial photo of his burned down mansion. That's wow. perfect. Isn't it amazing? That yeah. was great. That She was my favorite she was. of TLC of for that. Of all the arsonists in pop culture, she was my favorite. Yeah, <laughs> agree. I'm diking out, you're diking out. Let's dike out together. See what it's all about. Diking out! Hi, and welcome to Diking Out, the podcast that makes a great couple's Halloween costume. I'm Carolyn Bergier. <laughs> and I'm Sarah York. And today we're going to be diking out with comedian and wonderful person, Liz <laughs> oh, Glazer, about life-changing decisions. Yay. Something a lot of us are probably familiar with. Or- yeah. Some want to be familiar with, but are too scared to pull the trigger. Right. So uh, we're going to get into that. But yeah, welcome. Thanks. Thank you. It's so good to see you. It's so good to see you. And it's so good to meet you. Yeah, you too. And uh, I've heard I've heard the podcast, so I'm happy to be a part of it. Um, yeah, life-changing decisions. I yeah. feel like I've, I've made at least one of those, um, just in terms of like how I'm sitting here, I mm-hmm. think is like one of those. So I used to teach law school. That was something I did for nine years. Um, and then... Uh, decided to like quit, give up tenure and do comedy and acting and whatever it is that I do now and yeah. have been doing. Uh, well, I made that decision in 2014. It's now 2018. So it's been at least four years, but it was like, you know, it had started mm-hmm. before the moment of making that decision. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Cool. And And when we talked about like the, you know, the, the title of the episode or, you know, the kind of theme of the episode, I had said in an email to you guys that like one of the things that I've likened pursuing stand-up and going from teaching to pursuing stand-up to was to coming out Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, because it did feel like for me, I didn't like hate my job just as I didn't hate my ex-boyfriend in college. Like it seems like a long time ago. And I I did feel like I was always gay. Like I had told him that when we first started dating, but we dated for three and a half years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, and I have like a, I mean, I I didn't write it as a joke, but like it's a thing that I say on stage about this, which is that the way that I became a lesbian was that at some point I realized that I preferred having sex with women. And then at a later point, I realized that I preferred having sex that I prefer to have, yeah. which is yeah. That's really a good way of putting yeah. it. Yeah, that is a good way. Cause I think there's probably a lot of people that identify with that. Yeah. It like, seems that way. Like I really said it as just a thing that I was going to say. And then yeah. it got a laugh and I was like legitimately confused by the fact that it got a laugh because I didn't write it as a thing that I thought would get a laugh. But I think it's the kind of laugh of identification because I don't think it's actually funny. I don't think that there's a word in there that there's nothing silly about it. Mm -hmm. There's nothing like, it's not a good joke. It just gets a laugh. And I, I think it is because of the identification. I think that's strictly a, a thing that women can identify with too, because women we're the only people who are, who will like have, 
bad sex because they want to because of some other you know reason whereas That's, men wouldn't yeah. be doing that men, yeah men always have the sex they prefer to have yeah you yeah. know like i mean i whether guess it's, I, I always feel a little know, weird some, saying something about someone who's well not yeah me, but like right right yeah but I, I think in general way. like i i've known women who are in relationships where the sex isn't great but they're like but you know everything yeah. else is it's like but men don't generally feel that way or think that way or, mm-hmm. or i think that we're just conditioned yeah. In you know, obviously, this is a huge generalization to mm-hmm. just kind of for like sex with us is just kind of like a like a bonus rather yeah. than like a need and yeah. like you know a thing that should be what we want you know yeah all the yeah. time and yeah. f- you know I think we're kind of conditioned to, to forego that in this for the sake of like a a, a greater good or you know maintaining right. our relationship for whatever reason mm-hmm. yeah especially when I was younger I would hear that from a lot of my straight friends was that they they were having sex that they didn't necessarily enjoy, but mm-hmm. then they kind of thought that that was the norm because right. their friends were also not enjoying sex and, and some were, and it yeah. takes a while to kind of learn yeah. uh, what you like. But a lot of times when you're younger, guys aren't asking you right. what you like. They're assuming right. you, you like being jackhammered because yeah. of all the porn they watch or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> it's true. Yeah. You know, you're, you're talking about saying that on stage. So um, one of my, like, I love your comedy because oh, it's thanks. so nice. it's so unique to me mm. because you get on stage and I always just feel like you're just having a very honest converse and intimate mm-hmm. conversation with the audience mm-hmm. and it's so captivating and Thank it's you. not set up punchline, set up punchline or, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But I'm always just like mesmerized and it's so entertaining and so enjoyable oh, and thanks. and the funny moments just come from it being very uh authentic thanks yeah, yeah. i i appreciate hearing that um yeah. i also really love your comedy oh thank you um, i was thinking i was thinking about uh when I was doing the one person show a few years ago and you so nicely and wonderfully opened for me oh, that uh, was, during that show. Yeah. That was <laughs> right when uh, my ex-wife left me. I remember that. Yeah. And we were talking and Liz was like, oh, do you want to host my show? I was like, okay, I'm going to, yeah. I might be a little sad, but I'm going <laughs> to yeah. do it. Well, I'm and do I it. think that that's also like in terms of whatever, cause I, I didn't get into comedy because I was like a comedy nerd. I I'm always yeah. jealous of people who have that story yeah. um, of just like, Oh, well I would, you know, beg my parents to let me stay up watching late night shows. And mm-hmm. you know, I yeah. was like obsessed. I know bring the pain by heart or, you know, whatever. And I'm like, Oh, I had no idea that stand up comedy really existed. Yeah. Like I, I remember Margaret Cho making fun of her parents and identifying with that because I also have a foreign father. Mm-hmm. Like that's about it in terms of my Where's your dad from? Latvia. Oh. Um, yeah. That's he's, right. He's very, very Russian. So uh or I guess not Russian, but you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um so that's like a very American thing of me. Yeah. Like, well, whatever. He's like, it's its own republic. So, anyway. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, like that, that wasn't my story in yeah. stand up, and it was very much like I was teaching and then I had a crush on this improv instructor who I had met because I took an improv class a few years before because I wanted to do something without a goal because I was feeling like, like being like a professor on a tenure track, I felt was 
it was rewarding in many ways, but it was also like maddening in the sense that everything I did was somehow connected to a goal, Mm -hmm. meaning like even social interactions with people who are on the faculty that I worked at, I was like, these people will be voting on me in four years and five months. And it was always like, even though I could try and like be in the moment and be like, oh, I like this person. That's that person's my friend. It was never not in my mind that they were like voting on my continuation of getting paid. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I, I took this improv class because I wanted to do something without a goal. And then of course I loved it so much and it like became the thing that would spur, you know, the stuff that now is my new set of goals. Um, and I try and like be mindful not to have this job take on the aspects of my former job that mm-hmm. I didn't like, namely how like everything that I did was connected to this like larger goal. And I think what you're talking about in terms of the authenticity is something that I do feel very strongly about, but as I'm, I don't know, getting better, but like doing it for longer, I'm also like, yeah, but I want to, I don't want to miss the goals. Like I don't want to like not have things go well. And of course that requires like tightening punchlines and, and, you know, having set up punchlines, but also not, getting rid of the aspect of it that a got me into it in the first place and b that arguably people are like, that's what's good about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's what makes you, you think. Yeah, Yeah. I I think. And so when you had told me that you were going through that moment, I remember being like, and that's why this is going to be amazing, (laughs) you know, and rather than like, Oh, well maybe another time I'd be like, no, no, no. Like, please. Like I would have loved to have had you on like five nights in a row during that time just to like see the progress of it because that, that aspect of it is what I'm interested in, in, in other people. Like I feel bad sometimes because someone, you know, will post a set and like my favorite part of whatever they posted will be the thing that clearly they didn't write. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean to say that in a way of like, oh, your written jokes are bad. I'm just like, but that moment was so amazing. Yeah. And it's, it's like now I'm in this stage where I'm trying to figure out like, how do I get those moments, but more of them and mm-hmm. tighter and, you know, and also not over engineer it a to the extent that it loses what, what it is and B to the extent that, th- that it then becomes the aspect of my former job that I went away from yeah. in a life-changing decision. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the funny thing about that show is that uh, Cecilia actually came to it with her ex-wife. Yeah, what? I remember. At the oh, time, God. yeah. That so, was the June 21st of 2016, yeah. I think. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So, like, I knew that her and her ex-wife were having marital problems and she was coming to like a lot of my shows and like nothing had happened between us or anything. And she's like, Oh, would it be weird if I brought Sharon to the show? I was like, no, it won't be weird. She's your wife. Like, bring, right. yeah, bring your wife to the show. So it's like the one time I like met her and like oh, I hugged wow. her and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Lesbian I don't circles think I are that. too small. Like <laughs> everything, we're, we're too connected. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then it was like, you know, then um, a month. A little over a month after that was when Cecilia ended her mm. marriage and then we started uh, seeing each other. Wow. Anyway, yeah, mm-hmm. comedy. Yeah. That's wild. I know. Yeah. I didn't know that, that they came together to one of your shows. They did come together to huh. one of my shows. Wow. And I met Sharon. Uh, was yeah. that how she was trying to save the marriage? Like, let's go to more shows where this woman from work that I have a crush on is doing comedy. <laughs> <laughs> That'll save it. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. 
right? I like almost a little bit because there were a few shows that she was trying to get Sharon to come to. And I don't know if she was doing it to make it seem a little bit more innocent as to what I, I don't sure. know, like yeah. how, um, how much Cecilia realized that, mm-hmm. that she was into me and that's why she was coming to my shows and yeah. how much of it was like, Oh, this is fun and interesting. I like going to comedy and it's cool to know the person who's doing it. Sure. Um, yeah, that's great. But that was, yeah. That was yeah. An interesting yeah. But so like in terms of, in terms of the, the parallel between the two life changing moments, like I didn't, I didn't like hate my relationship with my boyfriend in college, mm-hmm. but it took like then kissing a woman for the first time for me to be like, oh, I didn't realize it could be like legitimately awesome. Right. Yeah. And similar to like with stand up, despite the fact that I didn't have like a crush on stand up from an early time mm-hmm. and I got into it in this way of like, you know, basically the, the improv instructor who I had a crush on was like, would you like to do stand up? And, uh, I said no, but then I ultimately did it and loved it. And I mean, the joke that I have about it on stage is that the first time I did stand up was like having a professional orgasm, which was kind of like a regular orgasm, except that I was a hundred percent sure it happened. <laughs> um, and, uh, I guess that's more of a traditional setup. Yeah. Punch. I like that. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it's also a joke that's mostly for women. Right. Absolutely. You know, similar to what you were saying before. Um, and yeah, like it, it, I, I think if I hated my job and then I did stand up or if I hated my ex-boyfriend and then I, you know, kissed Marissa, mm-hmm. it would have been a different thing. In both cases, I felt like, okay, I'm good and I don't feel desperate to like get out of whatever. Like there were definitely aspects of both the relationship and my old job that I felt less excited about. But honestly, I didn't know that it was possible to feel really amazing at, at being in a relationship or having sex in the one case or at work in, in the second. And Mm -hmm. so in that sense, like, I mean, I don't, I don't pretend to offer anybody advice. I just like live in a way that I try and be really, I mean, I guess like intentional or mindful, but I'm rolling my eyes for those of you who can't see that because like, <laughs> you know, those, those words right. like have taken on this kind of They've social taken on like a, like a white girl Instagram yeah. story kind and, of thing. And I can appreciate that in mm-hmm. a way, but it's also like, I mean, I mean specifically that I like journal every day about it. And I, I mean, not, not like I will journal about this, but like I journal every day. I meditate every day. I try, you know, have taken out substances and practices that I believe have taken me farther away from, you know, some core of consciousness and my Mm -hmm. emotions because I'm like, yeah, sometimes stuff feels really big and really hard to deal with. And that's the stuff that can make life fun and interesting and also awful and sad. Yeah. But like the both of them. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. So anyway, that is what I mean. Yeah. So then, I mean, how do you how do you know whether or not to take that leap? Like for you know, if yeah. if you just like never thought about right kissing a woman and thought, okay, well, I guess this is what there is, or mm-hmm. like sure. like with a job, I I don't know. I feel like it's easy to feel kind of content with yeah what you have in life sometimes, yeah. and especially because 
you know, you always know somebody who's doing a lot worse. Mm-hmm. There's always somebody doing worse. So you're like, right. well, I'm not them. Right. You know, I'm not going through that. So well, I, I guess I'm like, pretty fine. Taking mm-hmm. a leap, like, you know, kissing a woman versus like quitting your job. I mm-hmm. think those are, there are things like the, the elasticity of the comeback from that is like a quick snap kissing a woman. Whereas like with your job, it's like, Oh, you just quit your fucking job. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. There's well, a lot, like those are bigger leaps in a way, but mm-hmm. maybe not like, I mean, emotionally probably more so with yeah, trying I think, something with someone else for the first time. Sure. I think emotionally they, they did feel similar mm-hmm. in the sense of like having an elated moment then, you know, over the course of time, like for example, you know, when I first kissed a woman, I, I kissed my friend, Marissa, who remained, I mean, I literally saw her last night, like mm-hmm. still good friends. And then this woman who I'd had a huge crush on basically for the the last half of high school, who was like, mm-hmm. you know, a very big crush. And we don't speak anymore. Um, and that's sad. But then like there were years when I would date a lot of what felt like the wrong women mm-hmm. for me ultimately. And I was like, it, it, it never, despite the fact that that was happening, it's never gotten to a point where I'm like, Ugh, why did I come out? Like, why am I listening? Right. Because it's such a core thing that I'm like, oh yeah, well, yeah, like this relationship with this woman doesn't seem to be going yeah. well, but it's not like I'm questioning my overall life choices. Similar to, you know, if I have a really bad show and yeah. like that can mean a lot of things. That can mean it was fine and like I didn't quit my job to feel fine or it was horrible and, you know, that feels really bad. But there's there's never been a moment after some experience like that that I'm like, ugh, I shouldn't have quit. Mm-hmm. Why am I doing this? I should be at work right now. Yeah, yeah it's like moving to um, New York for a lot of people. Yeah. You know, yeah, like yeah. I, I literally, I was I worked in um, corporate America after college. Okay. I lived in the Midwest. I was living in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And had a great, you know, a good job, good benefits, all that shit. But I was sitting in front of a computer, not knowing even what the fuck I was doing, right. let alone caring about it. Sure. And I'd always kind of wanted to live here. And I was like, I, I quite literally one day just like exhaled deeply and I went, fuck. Yeah. Because I was just so like, it was so boring. I yeah. hated it so much. And I knew I just wasn't, it, I, I just, I couldn't stop thinking about being here. Mm-hmm. And some people like wheeled out of their cubicles and were looking over like, is someone having a breakdown? Uh huh. Cause that's all that would the be the only interesting thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't quite give them like a Laura Dern and the Enlightenment pilot breakdown. Yes, that's where my mind went. <laughs> I know. I, I, I was mean, thinking Jerry Maguire. Like yeah, yeah. Like I didn't quite do it in a theatrical way. <laughs> right. But in, in my head, there was just something that clicked and I was like, this is, there is no coming back from this feeling. Well, and I think that that, that's like what I, when you were asking the question a moment ago of like, how does someone know? That's, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. That's, when you cross that yeah. line, you're like, well, I just, it mm-hmm. feels like, you, it doesn't feel like you crossed the line. It feels like you jumped over like. Correct. Like, like a, like I between two that. buildings. Yeah. And I think that that's where the emotions and the life-changing decisions really yeah. converge because, and it's also where the trusting oneself becomes really important yeah. because having a moment like that, that feels like kind of brain orgasmic or it, whatever. It did. It felt that right. way. I literally that, pulled up my email in that moment and quit mm-hmm. my job. And then I pulled wow. up my, another email to my, my mom. Yeah. Oh and my I was God. Like, I'm going to move home for a little huh. while and then I'm going to move to New York. Cause she lives, wow. they live three hours North in Omaha. Oh. So she, and then she's my back. Great. Lived Your in ready. Omaha. Wow. Weird. Yeah. I yeah. know. So the, sorry strange. to interject yeah, no, that, yeah. <laughs> but it's just like, that was where I would have moved. Oh God. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. Ugh. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that's crazy. Huh. Yeah, that's where I grew up. Wow. Um, but yeah, I, I quite literally like 
and and living in that environment, I mean, I have a lot of friends that are still there and like they fully supported it, but it was like all the supporting cast, like the like the really like third tier people in my life, like my coworkers who I never made even a, a slight effort to being friends with. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> these people knew nothing about me. I also yeah. wasn't really out in that environment. Okay. To my friends I was, but not to like coworkers. Coworkers, yeah. Um the the look of like complete shock and awe on everyone's face and like pity almost that I was like breaking out of something because consistency mm-hmm. in the Midwest is like yeah. their ultimate the like currency. that's everyone's love language is right. consistency right. like no one steps outside no one breaks the rules nobody takes a leap you know with ex- exceptions obviously I have friends who live there who have taken big professional and personal leaves but for the most part the kind of people I was working with in that yeah. environment are not like Very, rule like, breakers at all. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was, and like no one, it's like no one believed me when I would be like, well, I'm going to move. I'm yeah, I'm quitting. I'm leaving in two weeks. I'm selling. I sold my car and all my stuff and I'm moving home. Wow. And then I'm going to move to New York city. Mm-hmm. And so and that like, was when this was in, uh, t- uh, this, uh, w- that decision was made on a summer day in 2012. Cool. Cool. Okay. And then I lived at home until the following May. Uh huh. Uh, so May of 2013, I I quite literally like had two suitcases and like no money saved, of course. Yeah. And because yeah. like everyone, if you wait till you're like financially ready to move here, you're never going to do it unless you have like a huge, unless you have parents helping or something. Mm-hmm. Like in my situation, I just was like, fuck it, I'm just going to go. Mm-hmm. And I had all this, you know, experience in restaurants and I knew how to do that. And uh, I moved here with two suitcases of clothes mm-hmm. and nothing else. And I stayed on my friend's couch and like just fucking figured it out yeah like I got a restaurant job like the next day and then oh cool now I I still do that like professionally I'm uh, a bartender but I do it at like a kind of a finer dining level so it's like not really it's 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 pretty consistent and it's like you know kind of cushy but yeah it's fun and I'm really good at it and I get more I literally get more rewarding feelings from doing what I do Uh for a paycheck than I ever did sitting in an office, work doing things that like weird technical stuff that I wasn't sure. even qualified. To. Like I don't even know right. how the fuck I got there. I feel I just... like the way that I think of uh, this was a little less so with teaching, but when I was practicing law, mm-hmm. which was like you know a corporate type environment, I feel like I sat at a desk, got fat, and was <laughs> cc'd on emails that I didn't understand. Oh my god, the emails! But I was required to make sure yeah. something bad didn't happen yeah. with yeah. respect to those emails. That was my yeah. job. Checking yeah. an email uh, inbox after, cause I, cause this company that I worked for, uh, which is called Cerner. I don't give a fuck if anyone hears it, but, sure. uh, they are really like, yeah, like what are they gonna do? Sue me. We should um, <laughs> make the title of the episode, their Just, name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the episode's called fuck Cerner. <laughs> they, the culture that they developed there, it's this big company that hires like every college graduate around the Kansas city uh, area gets uh-huh. a job at this company. Okay. Cause they do pay well. And like, you know, it's good for a lot of people. I have friends that are still there, but like, the, it's one of those companies that makes you feel like a piece of shit for only working from eight to five. Oh, I, yes. You know I what understand. I mean? Like everyone's doing this weird flex where they talk about like, well, I, you know, I was, I was here till 10 PM last right. night. It's like, right. well, why are even in the Midwest? What sort are you falling on right now? Especially in the Midwest. Yeah. yeah. Because oh, wow. working hard is considered to be yeah. more important than having a life. Like, right. yeah. It's right. not like nobody, there's no work-life balance because that's the, the mm-hmm. culture that this company works really, really hard to cultivate. Like 
there was a weird uh, standoff every day at like five of mm-hmm. like who's leading first. Oh. And I would always just leave first because I didn't care. Sure. Yeah. But like at 7 p.m., there's still cars in the parking lot. At 8 p.m., there's fewer, but there's still cars in the parking lot. And it's like, but they don't have to do that. They just choose. Right. Because yeah. it's like, well, if you, but if you don't, then you're, you're not doing enough for the company. And they would hold these big town halls where everyone would like, it was weird. It was a fucking weird. It was like yeah. being in the in the movie 1984. Like that it was like sense. the the yeah. worshipping of the like the CEO. Just work for the, the sake of work. Well, I had, yeah, yeah. I mean, I had a couple of like. So I, I'm just still having your question in mind, Carolyn. Of like because I think about that all the time. Like I know the steps that caused me to know. You know, both because like I'm working on, you know, crafting that show actually like in yeah. a, in its uh, further iteration. So I did a show um, in like around 2015, 16 called Very Early Retirement, which was basically about how I decided to quit my job. And um, I would like to do that show in another iteration because I think even though nobody's life experiences are going to be the same as anybody else's, but when I think back about like, okay, I haven't regretted this big life-changing decision. How did I get there? And there are two situations that happened, one in practice, like law practice, and one with teaching that I think were really transformative. So one was when I was working at a law firm, there was this partner, and um, I've told him this story uh, that like he had this really big effect on me. I came in, I had done like two closings the day before. I was a real estate, like transactional Mm -hmm. real estate lawyer. And, um, and I was like, you know, on like no sleep. Like I basically just went home to nap, you know, yeah. and I got in the next morning and I, and I see him in the hallway and he was like one of the good ones. Like he actually seemed to really be happy with his job. Like he like essentially skipped to work, you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah, I know and a lot of people like that. Right. There are fewer people good for like them. that. Good for them. And it was actually <laughs> I mean, inspiring. And I, I saw him in the hallway and I'm like looking dead tired. And he said, so Liz, are you having fun? And I remember thinking to myself like, fun. Like I didn't like, maybe I'm fine. Maybe. Yeah. But I didn't think that like having fun was even on the table. Right. Yeah. But it, yeah. it didn't, because he wasn't joking because he was a hundred percent serious. He was a hundred percent genuine. Like it's great. Right. Like that was what seemed like the thought in his brain when he asked this question. And, you know, so I had all these thoughts of like, no, but I was just like, yeah, you know, cause it's work and you lie and you don't have of emotions course. that yeah. rise to the surface. But I, <laughs> I really believe that his were real. Yeah. And so that was a really transformative moment. And the second one was were, when I were was- Were they real though? I believe they were. You think they were? Yeah. yeah I've known I mean, people like that too. I'm it's all, great. I'm imagining him as uh, yeah. Rob Lowe and Parks and Rec, ha. Chris Traeger. Yeah. You know, he's- Like that's kind of- that. That's not a bad. That's like not that's a bad who I visualize yeah. coming up to you in a hallway. Yeah, and he he's an older guy. He's been doing it for like a long, long okay, time. Yeah. But I feel like if Chris Traeger like aged and settled a little in his kind of yeah you know, peppiness or right, whatever, yeah. right. But so, but otherwise, yes. Okay, and <laughs> that's great. Um, and so, and then the second one was when I was teaching. Um, it was actually the same semester that I ended up trying stand up for the first time and whatever. But I would uh, on the way to my office. Uh, there was this guy who was like this renowned, like, you know, law professor who was like really active in the law and economics mo- movement. And he would write like an article a second and whatever. And um, every time I passed by his office, it was as though like, like I didn't, I wasn't a science professor, but it was as though there were like Bunsen burners, like yeah. burning <laughs> and like research assistants just like tilling about in the yeah. office. And it was so active and buzzy with like work happening. And he seemed so into it. And um, I remember I was like CV stalking him because I was like, what is this guy like up to? And so 
uh, he is married to this woman who's Russian. He's American. But I noticed that around this time that he started dating her, he not only, I knew from just around that he like spoke Russian perfectly, that their children who then they had, you know, after 10 years Mm -hmm. of marriage, like spoke, they only spoke Russian at home. I was like, oh, wow, that's like smart and impressive. Um, but then I started noticing in his CV that he started writing law review articles in Russian. And I was like, that is a level that I will never get to in terms of not just like, I think the, the big moment with these two, these two moments, one in teaching and one in practice was not that like, I was in awe of how smart and great at their job. These people were, I was in awe of how genuinely they seem to enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that that like the takeaway from those for me and in terms of answering your question, Carolyn, is just like if that's something that somebody's wondering about, like, you know, similar to what you were saying, Sarah, like there's there's a moment when it just clicks and you're like, yeah, I don't have that. Yeah, that's never like, gonna be me. Right. Yeah. And and I was like, that's never gonna be me about this. Right. Either yeah, teaching right. or practicing law. But like, wouldn't it be amazing if there was something yeah. that exactly. it could that's, be me? That is about? exactly what motivated me yeah. to get the fuck out of there. Yeah. yeah. And I think that the same thing happened with with kissing a woman for the first time in yep. terms of like, yeah, you know, like my relationship was good, fine. Yeah, we were mm-hmm. together for a long time. I think, you know, I could have been married in Omaha and like I don't think I would have been sad. You know, like maybe, but like mm, I don't think probably. it would. <laughs> I, I don't think it, I don't think it would have, have been, been there? eventually. <laughs> I have. I spent a lot of it's time not that there. Bad. It's yeah, not that bad. but like meaning, it's not. It wouldn't have been some sort of ideal, amazing life. Yeah, but it could have been okay. And I yeah. think that that would have been true for me if oh, I had stayed been in. Okay, had right? I stayed. stayed in practice. But, stayed yeah. okay teaching. Is not good enough. Correct. You know, and and I think that like you know those those stories and uh, were like really pivotal in terms of allowing me to see like, oh, there's more in terms of emotions yeah. that could be had with respect to doing a thing. And, and I think a thing with that is being, and we've kind of talked around it, being very honest with yourself yeah. about what's going on. Because I think of two uh, life-changing decisions I made. Or, well, one, um, and I was lying to myself the, uh-huh. the whole time about why, why I was doing it. So when I went into a PhD program, mm-hmm. I did it for all the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. And, but I convinced myself that this was a good thing to do, yeah. even though I didn't have an authentic passion for it. Sure. Uh, and as soon as I started, I was miserable. I was like, this isn't for me. This is for nerdy introverts. Like, yeah. nothing wrong with nerdy introverts, yeah. but you have to be happy uh, spending a lot of time by yourself, yeah. diving deep into the minutia of something and right. just reading shit tons of literature and overanalyzing it to a point that you go insane. Yeah. And that's not my personality type no. at all. So I made this life-changing decision to like quit my job and go into these PhD programs and everything. Mm-hmm. But I, I made that decision without being honest with myself. So it's like sometimes you make a life-changing decision and it's, and it's the wrong one, yeah. but I think... It's only the wrong one if you're not being completely honest with yourself. Whereas, like, you know, moving to New York and um, starting to do comedy and Mm -hmm. and things like that, that was more true to, you know, who I was as a person, who I was, like, as a kid, I always wanted to move to New York. I always dreamed about moving Mm -hmm. to New York. I always wanted to to do comedy and perform and, and all this stuff. But at some point, I was like, oh, you can't 
do that. Right. And then when I was honest with myself, I'm like, oh, you can do that. Well, I think, yeah. I mean, and, and one of the things that I just picked up on from what you were saying is the allowance of time to mm. sit with and to then know whether one can trust the kind of thoughts that you're having yeah. about a thing. So in your case just now, like you had always, you said, wanted to and thought about moving to New York. And it sounded like from your story too, mm-hmm. that that was something that was brewing oh, for yeah. a while. And I feel, I feel strongly about that in terms of like, when I look back at my own process of leaving, like, first of all, I made the decision in 2014 in the winter to leave my job the following spring. So I had a, a three whole semesters mm-hmm. of knowing that, or maybe two and a half cause it was February, but, uh, of knowing that I was leaving, but not leaving yet. Mm-hmm. And that was similar because, uh, when I took the job at, at school from, uh, work, like when I was working at a law firm, uh, because it was an academic year and an academic cycle, like the way that schools hire is like basically a whole year early. And so then it wasn't intentional, but it just happened to be that I knew for essentially a year at work that I was leaving to go to school, to teach at school. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that, um, that I, I guess I do feel strongly about like when people, cause you know, you do something like this and then people ask you questions about like, well, how did you know? And how did you decide whatever? And one of the things that I've said, I'm like, I'm not saying to do this because I always feel really like strange of like giving advice. Cause I'm like, this is what I did. But, but when I think about the aspects of the process that like really were, great for Mm -hmm. me. It was also having some time to think through, like, to like sit with the decision. Mm -hmm. Um, because honestly, like I had the relationships at school and also at my work where if I had wanted to back out of the decision for one reason or another, I'm pretty confident that I could have gone to somebody at work and um, because I remember like right before I was leaving the, the managing partner of the department that I worked at was like, are you sure you still want to yeah. leave? You know, and I could have been like, you know what? You're right. I don't. Yeah. And so I guess like having, you know, like being in situations that are like comfortable enough that like it doesn't feel like you're leaping with with, with no like, like no safety net or yeah. no. Yeah. Because I think that there's especially like with the Instagram people about like manifesting and stuff like that. I worry sometimes about someone taking some of those messages really literally and then being like, well, I leaped and (laughs) what now, you know, because I, I didn't feel that way. And I think I didn't feel that way because I did try at least to take inventory of like, what is this about Mm -hmm. really? Um, and you know, I mean, I could eat my words tomorrow about one of these decisions, but like they feel, I think I allowed them to become like entrenched. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I think it differs for obviously different situations in terms of that jumping, because there are times in my life where I feel like I'm at the edge of a cliff and I'm like, do I jump and trust that this is going to work out? Mm -hmm. Uh, and just really not knowing, um, but it's also making me think about why people don't allow themselves to make these decisions, which is fear, yeah. right, is, yeah. is a big reason. Mm-hmm. And when I think of my ex-wife and a reason why she didn't leave me sooner because she wasn't happy uh-huh. in the marriage, and uh, which was totally not on me. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, um, like she was so afraid that she was going to make a mistake because right. their 
there wasn't really a rational reason mm-hmm. of why she was unhappy in the marriage. Sure. And, and we had talked about this, um, you know, at, at the end, she was like, I can't point to one thing. I can't say, you know, you've been a great wife. It's not that I just don't want to be married, but I'm afraid to end this because I could be making the biggest mistake of my life. Right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, but it's like how much do you, well, and it took her a while to really trust in those feelings sure, enough to, to get over that fear. Yeah. I mean, in, um, Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic, um, which is totally one of those like Instagram-y books, but like I I really do enjoy that book a lot. But she says this thing, I think it's towards the beginning of the book where she like talks about how she used to really heavily identify with her anxiety and her fear and that she even even sub or unconsciously thought of it as such an essential aspect of her that she'd be boring without it. You know, which I related to because like, especially like as a comedian, it's like, oh my God, I'm so neurotic. Isn't that funny? (laughs) But like then, um, then, you know, she has like a couple stories and comes around to it and she's like, it's not that fear isn't a part of, you know, the process. It's just that like, never am I going to let fear drive. Yeah. And I, I find that to be really, really like a, a cool, I don't Mm -hmm. know, insight. And then I'm also thinking of, um. In Seize the Day, the Broadway version, um, which is different from the original motion picture version, which I do like because I'm a very big David Moscow fan. I don't know if I'm alienating you guys by this, but like... Not no, her. She okay. Knows. My my <laughs> my friend actually played um, the character in the touring Newsies recently oh, that sings okay. Seize the Day. <gasps> wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. But in the Broadway version, yes. the, the lyric is... Um, uh, courage does not erase our fear. Courage is when we face our fear. And that lyric isn't in the original motion okay. picture version, but, but that is also a very good song. But anyway, um, I think that that's an element and it can be a confusing element, but, but like between seize the day, the Broadway version and big magic, I think it's like, yeah, courage is like, recognizing that fear is there and also being like, you're going to be in the passenger seat, Mm -hmm. right? Like you're not going to go away because like, I still have fear. I have fear all the time. I'm like, I mean, now I've been doing material on, on stage about like returning items to retail stores, which is like in the vein of like, I'm becoming my mother in this specific way. (laughs) But it starts by me being like, I don't earn any money, but boy, do I earn money back. Mm -hmm. Right. Because, and the thing is that like, I, I do fear like, am I ever going to be able to earn money? And like, sure, like stand up pays sometimes, like, you know, whatever. But like, it's not at the level where I'm not living off of the savings from my old mm-hmm. job and my old life. Mm-hmm. And I do worry about that all the time. And like, sure, I'm working on stuff. But like, yeah, I have a lot of fear around that. Um, it, but it's not, I guess like, I don't try to like, like, or I, I guess I try to understand that, like, yes, that's a fear, but, like, it's not going to be helpful to me if, for example, every time I get on stage or every time I go to my computer to, like, write more of a script or every time I go to an audition, if I lead with the fear that I'm never going to get paid for this. Right. Like, that's not going to work. Yeah. You know? So, anyway. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's like I, you do. Have Are we to, making you think? No, I mean it's just. <laughs> I was kind of thinking about like the what you said about like getting out of a relationship and worrying that you're making a huge mistake. But it's like if you're thinking about it, yep, you're not making a huge mistake. Correct. Yeah, you know, like that's a really great no point. one has yeah. ever like you, 
the fact that you're even questioning it or the fact that you're like, well, but what if it's a bad, it's, it's not a bad decision. If you're thinking about it, then it's not a bad decision. Well, at the very yeah. least, by making the decision, you'll live a life in which you're not worrying about whether it was a bad decision. Yeah. Yeah. Because you yeah. can w- wake up 20 years from now still unhappy mm-hmm. and then, then it's too late. Yeah. You know? I mean, speaking of relationships, yeah. And like for, for me in that last marriage, I was also thinking... I mean, the only reason I didn't do anything was because I took the commitment of marrying someone very seriously. Mm -hmm. And I said, this is what I signed up for. And I'm a person who commits to what she says she's going to do. Oh, I'm not at all. (laughs) uh, uh, No, good for you. Uh, Because that so many times I thought about like, can I be happy in this marriage? Because I, I was unhappy too. We were two unhappy people. Right. Two unhappy young Just people. Th- mm, yeah, young you know? people. Yeah. And I was constantly thinking about it. And it's like now I'm in a relationship where I've never even for a second thought right. about yeah. about that, right. you know, and the, the difference it, it is. And it's like you don't know. And, you know, going into that relationship – that was a big leap of faith that, sure. that I had to do because we had every reason not to be in a relationship together, like so many reasons yeah. why it didn't seem right, except we couldn't fight that it f- felt so right mm-hmm. and that's what we wanted and that's what was making us very happy and, right. you know, thankfully it worked out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, but, I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you got to take a leap, though. It's like it. I, yeah. It sounds very cliche, but it's like I literally cannot imagine my life had I not taken a seal. Like sure. I would say a, a series of maybe two or three big moves. Yeah. Like I, there's just absolutely no, no way in which it would have been like everything would have been fine, but nothing would have been okay. Sure. You know, like it's it's not okay. To That's just a be great like, way to think of it. Kind yeah. of treading water because like, well, mm. I started it, so I better stay here. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. It just, it, oh my God. I think about that a lot where I'm like, what if I had just stayed in the Midwest? Like, I just don't think. Sure. And I think, I mean, I heard this thing, I don't know exactly the citation for it, but it's some like Indian, um, like perhaps Buddhist mm-hmm. piece of wisdom that um, when something like on the horizon is like, quote unquote, supposed to happen and like the right choice versus the wrong choice that like there will be obstacles that pop up in front of the wrong one and like a clear path that follows in like in front of the right one. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I, you know, like it's hard for me to know, like, is that true? Is it not true? Like, I have no idea, but I think it's a useful thing to keep in mind because as I look back, like there, like I, I try and keep in mind, like, what do I really want and what are the signs that I'm getting that seem to suggest that like it, the world is warm for that thing, mm-hmm. right? And so like with respect to quitting my job specifically, so the day after I did stand up for the first time, I had this extremely narcissistic daydream, okay? And it was that I was a guest on a late night show and the host was like, so Liz, you've done stuff like you taught law school for a decade and then you just decided to do stand up. And at the time I had been teaching for seven years, but I said, I was like, well, actually Jimmy, it was nine years. Okay. That was the vision. And I was like, is that <laughs> funny? Is so I have is, a very important gri- Fallon please. or Kimmel. It, I don't know. I don't know. Keep it, keeping it open. Yeah. Okay, great, great. <laughs> so, um, 
So that's that's what I said, and it was like interesting to me because it was so specific. Uh, it was a fun, yeah. albeit narcissistic, daydream. And also, I had been teaching for seven years. Okay, then I uh, during the next year. Okay, so my eighth year of teaching was when I got a phone call from my dean at the time, being like, "Hey, can you talk?" I said, "Sure." He said, "Hey, so uh, there's this like budget moment at school, and we're offering all tenured faculty members buyout packages." And uh, so I had to like write all of the information down because that's not something that a school ever wants to let out in a document because then like a website gets hold of mm-hmm. it and it's like, oh my God, this school's going under, you know, yeah. here's what they're doing. So you have to, I, I had my planner out. I was in a car. I was on the phone with my dean writing down all of these options. And again, remember it was the eighth year of teaching. And so he's like, well, you know, it's possible one could go for half time. You get this reward a quarter time. You get like this amount of money in order because you have to be buy, mm-hmm. bought, bought out of your contract. And then the the penultimate option was, or you could quit at the end of this year, which would have been my eighth year. And the last thing he said, or you could quit at the end of next year. And that was the ninth year. And so it was this like crazy thing. Where, right. Yeah. Where I was like, uh, well, I choose that one. And he was like, I'm, you know, cause I'm like a people pleaser. And he was like my friend also, we were on the faculty together. He's like, uh, you don't like, Liz, you don't have to choose any one of these options. That's not the kind of conversation this is. And he all but said, like, this is something I just am legally obligated to tell you because we're offering it to all tenured faculty members. And it's essentially a move to get, like, the old people out of work. But we can't say that because we'll get mm-hmm. sued. Yeah. I mean, he didn't say that. But, like, that's, sure. that's, that's what, what that, that is. is when right. a school does that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Because it's like you have tenure and you're, like, 95. Right. And, and like... Yeah. yeah. Is it time? Yeah. yeah. And it's like, well, some money. from the 95-year-old perspective, it's like, no, I'd rather keep my job and paycheck and, you know, yeah. whatever. Anyway, so the financial incentives are set up in the exact opposite way for, okay. like, econ. So um, so anyway, so I, I told him this story that I just told you about the, mm-hmm. the Tonight Show or, you know, Jimmy Kimmel Live or whatever. And um, and he was like, oh, well, that's very specific and strange. Um, but <laughs> all, right, it's, all right, it's, weirdo. So you're going to go with yeah, the, the next Yeah, like, then? but it's very you. And I get it in a weird yeah. way because it was so specific. And so I guess like the add-on to the answer of like, how do you know is like, I, I, I guess at another time in my life, I might not have taken that like daydream as seriously. Like I was so taken by it that I was like, don't quit your job for a bit. Mm-hmm. especially if you don't even know it's funny. Yeah. Like, why is that funny? I, I still don't know why it's funny, but I still think it's funny Yeah, the, to round down to nine from 10 yeah. it is. and to I always like it. do it. Right. Well, it's and specificity so, and that's always funny. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like specificity by yeah. design. Yeah. It's like, let me think of a specific thing. That's a joke. And like, that could be not funny, but like, I, I've I don't know. I've framed entire life decisions over about jokes before. Yeah. It's fine. Right. Like, it's just like what you do. Yeah. And like, so, I better do this thing so I can tell an amusing story later yes. about yes. it. <laughs> And then that, that is that's like that that two minutes of payoff was worth like the weird thing I did. Totally. I mean, I think that th- that's very <laughs> relatable to me. And yeah. I think like probably a lot of other comedians because, you know, it's like you derive your material from life. And then sometimes I mean, I actually once like I was going through a phase and I, t- I told my therapist I was like doing a lot of drugs basically. Mm-hmm. And like in a way that I was like, this is not healthy. And like, what if I'm doing these drugs for material? But like you know, I w- I said to her, I was like, I'm going on stage and I'm talking about the stuff that's happening to me in the moment. And like, what if all the stuff that happened to me in that moment was I just did laundry that day? And this is my therapist for 10 years. And she's like, 
Liz, do you honestly think that you wouldn't be able to go on and on about the laundry? <laughs> and I was like, fair point. Um, so, you know, uh, so anyway, but like I, that to say that I totally understand yeah. the like living one's life with also keeping in mind, like, what is the joke of this or what is the insight of this? And I think there can be ways that I've experienced that to be productive. And I guess the nine year vision story retirement thing is like some kind of straddling between them Yeah, because it was like just this strange, odd thing. Mm -hmm. But then it also was like the way that I knew in quotes, you know, that it was the right thing to do. You know? Yeah. And I mean, I could still be proven wrong. I could be proven wrong literally right now. But like, I don't even know what form that would take because at this point I'm so in yeah. the life and decision and identity similar to like the lesbianism. Like it's not like, yeah. you know, yeah, my girlfriend right now could totally disappoint me. I think she's wonderful, but I, I don't control her. Right. You know, anything could happen and that would be sad and devastating and I, I really, really hope it doesn't happen, but it's not going to cause me – to like, I don't know, to question my root and foundation. Yeah, it's not going right. to change your truth. Yeah. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That's a great way to say it. You know, Sarah, you mentioned something earlier that I want to go back to about just the the people in your life being supportive mm-hmm. because I think a, a lot of our listeners might have friends or partners or something who are maybe in that moment where they're ready to make a, a life-changing decision. Mm-hmm. And I know with actually the same friend for me, I've been both the what the hell do you think you're doing? Are you insane? And then later in life, I'm like, oh, now I know that you have a really strong gut feeling about things and you need to trust it. So now I support you. So like my friend applying to college, she applied to a school in New York City for fashion merchandising that had maybe 200 students. No one's ever heard of it. She was so smart, got amazing scores on her SATs. I'd never known her to be interested in fashion. Mm, It seemed like this crazy thing. And it was the only school she applied to. Wow. And I'm like, the only school you're applying? Are you insane? Just like this small. And she's like, it's the one I want. Huh. And I... I was like, all right, Rachel, I think you're making a big mistake, you know, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. It, we were, we were in high school yeah. and to me, I put a lot of value in, in safe decisions because I think my sure. parents made me feel oh, like, same. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. To that. you know, mm-hmm. um, like I wanted to major in, uh, in TV and film. And my dad was like, how about advertising? That's more practical. Mm. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. got to do the practical thing. Sure. So then later, so she, she did it. She, you know, got a great job in New York out of college, was living that life. But huh. then all of a sudden that was no longer her truth. Uh-huh. And she was like, I want to move to Grand Cayman and be a yoga instructor. Oh, wow. And I was like, you do that girl. Yeah. And yeah. She sounds rad. Yeah. Oh, totally. she yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> she's awesome. So yeah, she just couldn't, she just started hating the city mm-hmm. and she's like, I can't take it anymore. So she, she moved back home for a couple months yeah. to figure things out mm-hmm. and then moved on to Grand Cayman. She had contacted a yoga studio there in advance and they're like, well, we don't have a spot, but you can work mm-hmm. in the, the front office and then, um, and then go from there. And go from mm-hmm. there. All you and need is a is a is an and then go from there. Yeah. Know? Like yeah. that's like just go from there. It's fine. Like yeah. get to the place and then fucking figure it out. Yeah. Well, right. And I think that like in terms of your friend's story, and I share this in terms of my story, like there's never a moment when I'm like, I wish I didn't work at a law firm or I wish I didn't work at school. Um, because 
I mean, first of all, the two moments that caused me to recognize what I wanted more happened in those settings. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't necessarily, I mean, I guess one could argue like, okay, well you want to make a show about retiring and you wouldn't have been able to make that show if you hadn't retired. But I would, I would be a lawyer and then rebut like, well, I hardly talk about that stuff on stage when I'm not doing mm-hmm. a whole show about it, mm-hmm. um, which is also true, but it's kind of like, it's all part of how to ref- like, it's almost like, you know, the, the thing you want, that big feeling like carving out your life is like really a lot about, you know, taking away all the stuff that's not David, right. Which mm-hmm. is so much a piece of it. Um, that it's like, it's not, I mean, I suppose some people just are born and know what they want and then they do that. And that's awesome. But I would say like, that's a hundred percent, not me. I Mm -hmm. really related to what you were saying about like, you know, like wanting to do the practical thing, wanting to like agree with your father who had a good point in that moment. And also Mm -hmm. Sarah, what you were saying about like the Midwest and consistency and also buying some of that a little bit, because it's like, yeah, there's nothing wrong with being like, and, and I don't want to starve. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. And and just to clarify, like, I do know people who obviously have a lot of friends there. And, like, there's, yeah. lot, there's gay people I know that live there and they're super happy. But it just wasn't going to happen for me. Sure. And it was just like, I I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't, I, I talk about the Midwest a lot. And I never mean to, like, shit talk the Midwest. Because yeah. it's not bad. It just wasn't particularly for me in that moment. So I feel like I should throw that in there. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. But it's again, that's someone else's truth is living, you know, and it's also like part of the thing that, sorry to interrupt. I realized I did that, but like, it's also part of the thing. It sounds like that allowed you to recognize how much you wanted to not be there. Yeah. 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 So I'm kind of grateful for like the shitty corporate jobs that I had. Cause had I had a job that was even a, Maybe well, see, I don't know. I don't know. I think I still would have made the decision ultimately. It may sure. have taken longer if I had a job that is actually good, right? And that I liked, that I actually knew what I was doing in. Um, but yeah, but I, I, so I, I do as much as I hated working there. I kind of thank that mm-hmm. a little bit because yeah. that's that was the catalyst for sure. Yeah, well, yeah, because even the decisions that aren't right for you help steer you towards oh, the one yeah. that totally. is right. So the PhD program that was. I mean, I had been making a, a string of decisions that weren't right for me, where as I came out of college having majored in advertising, and then I went to a job that was like in advertising, but not the thing I wanted to do in advertising. And then uh-huh. I got a job related to that that was even further away from advertising. And then I went into this PhD program, which was even further away. Sure. And then now I'm, you know, my day jobs in advertising, I'm doing comedy mm-hmm. at night and this is everything I would have probably like wanted for myself. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's great. Yeah. And, but it took me getting so far away from it mm-hmm. to realize how much I wanted the other thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, for some people, you know, Omaha, that's their truth. Hey, that's where they're, they're totally happy. Is. Yeah. I, I hated Buffalo when I lived in Buffalo. I hated it so much. And now I have a, a different appreciation for it. And I know people there who love it. And I totally understand why they love it. Because for for them, it's great. Like I I wish Buffalo was great for me, mm, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like I wish that I could be happy living in that city. It's like a low cost of living. All my family's there. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's yeah. it's got a lot of interesting things about it. And but that's not my truth, unfortunately. Yeah. So you just can't. And that's okay. Yeah. 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 
Oh, wow. This has been quite the philosophical discussion. <laughs> um, and to to keep with that, we have, I think, a philosophical question. I don't oh, know. Great. It's long from a listener as we wrap up this episode. So here we go. Buckle up. Uh, <laughs> in April, I broke up with my boyfriend of two and a half years. Yay. Congrats. And began dating an amazing, incredible woman. What a happy ending. Let's just yeah. stop there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this didn't come as a surprise to me as I identified as bisexual at the time. However, I never actually came out to my family. All of my friends and even coworkers knew I was interested in women, but never bothered to tell my parents or siblings because I didn't think it mattered. I was dangerously close to marrying this guy and thought I would never have to deal with it. Mm. Wow. I was really wrong about that one. <laughs> I like that how this person wrote this. Yeah. It's a lot of all yeah. caps. And uh, I told my parents about my girlfriend a couple of months ago. I live in the Midwest in parentheses, represent. And my parents are evangelical Christians. Oh, God. Tricky. While they haven't been feeding me Bible verses or sending me to conversion camp, um, this is a plug to also listen to our episode about conversion Uh, therapy if you haven't heard it yet. I went to a a session also. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. But anyway, go ahead. Oh, man. (laughs) It was, I'm fine. I'm fine. No shock therapy or anything like that. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, mm-hmm. It's been bothering me that we've talked about my girlfriend once since the initial conversation. My younger sister is getting married, and with the holidays coming up, it's very difficult to see my parents invite my future brother-in-law to family functions with no mention of my girlfriend. Mm. I know that it'll take time, but I don't know how to even start the process of normalizing this for them. Mm-hmm. I'd love for them to meet my girlfriend sometime soon, and we're making plans to move in together in the spring. I'm not very good at confrontation, but I want to make this gradual before a year or two has gone by and all of a sudden we're married with kids and my parents are still stonewalling yeah in parentheses no pun intended Uh (laughs) i'm absolutely head over heels for this woman and have been for a few years now uh now the timing is finally right for us i'm super sad that my parents are ignoring my relationship status when they were super nosy about my male ex Mm. do you have any suggestions of bringing this up or maybe a plan to introduce my partner to my parents I really think they'll come around eventually, but the initial shock is a little difficult for all of us to handle. I'm always super sad and defensive around my parents. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's understandable. I think you're just going to have to do it. Like, you're going to have to just kind of elbow your way into that situation. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no, you may, I'm not sure how old you are, but like, if you're, I'm guessing in your late 20s or older, then, uh, at some point, you just got to stop waiting for your parents to like ask you to do something and just fucking do it. Mm-hmm. Like if it's Christmas or if it's Thanksgiving, you're like, okay, so this person's coming with me. And mm-hmm. that's that's just what it is. Um, because I think it's almost like uh, your parents are sort of tiptoeing around the pool and like dipping their toes in and it's too cold, but you're just going to have to shove them into it and they'll figure it out. Or they won't. And that's their problem. And maybe you can spend holidays, you know do things with just you two and then they'll beg you to come over. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of one of those things like you guys, you can kind of get over it and, and embrace it or you're just not going to see me as much. And I know that sucks, but like that would be my approach. Yeah. I I would share that. I mean, I had that experience. Um, My parents now are extremely supportive of my relationship, which is with a woman. Um, And uh, they weren't of, prior relationships with women. And I totally, I mean, I totally feel that question. Like, oh as yeah. You were reading it. I was having flashbacks to like conversations on a sidewalk in the city, you know, with my parents in New Jersey, as I'm like about to get on a bus and am I coming or am I not coming home for, you know, this holiday with my then girlfriend. 
And I also share not liking confrontation. I guess like the thing, the thing that comes up for me to say is like, I've always recognized, even when I was not getting along with my family, I'm like, I know that I want to have a relationship with my family. And I also Mm -hmm. know that I want to have that relationship be integrated into whatever my partnership is romantically and significantly. Um, And I think that like keeping in mind that like goal or key desire or whatever you want to call it can be helpful, even if it's painful Mm -hmm. because it, it was the thing ultimately that like, you know, made me have those conversations where I was literally bawling on the street, you know, or on the yeah. sidewalk. I don't, I don't want to condone um, a, a not safe <laughs> practice. Bawling. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> um, find a subway. Um, but like, yeah, that that I think it was really hard. It was uncomfortable. But like, ultimately, I was able to communicate to my parents that I really did want a relationship with them, and that we were coming dangerously close in light of their refusal to accept what was happening in my life romantically to not having that connection. And did they want that? Yeah. And so, you know, posing that question to them, I think was difficult and caused them to cry and us to like yell and scream in certain moments. But ultimately, you know, I think that process was part of coming to now where, they're super thrilled to have Karen come over. Yeah. Um, and again, I mean, there's not like a clear, like linear way of like, first this happens, then this happens. And, you know, and of course, like my family situation is going to be different from yours and yours and mm-hmm. uh, the listeners. Um, but I think that like keeping in mind, like I want my relationship and I want my parents yeah. and I'm not settling for one or the other was very important for me. Yeah. I, I think it's also important to recognize that in some situations you really want your parents to take the lead because you think they're the parents yeah. Oh, yeah. and they should be doing this. That's, but they then, want to, but, yeah. but sometimes they... But as you get older, yeah. you realize that your parents are just adults like you and you. Yeah. And as you know, being an adult, not everybody has the tools yeah. to deal with these situations. Yeah. So they're probably where, where you are, where maybe they don't know to go about handling it and they're waiting for you to come around and take the lead. Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. and you might think that that's not fair because they're the parents and they should be taking the the lead, but you know, it's, you don't want to be, um, having a standoff with them. Also, my other recommendation is maybe uh, sit down with them and watch the Thanksgiving episode of was, Master of None uh, with Lena Waithe. So I was thinking, I was going to say, and also watch the Thanksgiving episode of yeah. Master of uh-huh. You don't even yeah. need to know what's going on in the show. It's like a perfect episode yeah, it's where like it's like, yeah, it's in a vacuum. Film. It's like its yeah. own thing. It's yeah. so wonderful. Yeah, it's great. Yes. Oh, cool. So good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's like, you know, and that's kind of a part of getting older too is realizing is becoming more on like a peer level with your parents and realizing that they are just people and that they're fallible and that they are mortal and that they're like, you know, they're getting older too. And it's like you, as you become more of an adult, the playing field levels a little bit, I think. And I think it might be time for you to just kind of, like I said, you're just going to have to like wedge your way in, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we'll see what happens. But it sounds like they obviously love you and they want to spend time with you and they ultimately are your parents and they love you unconditionally. So yeah. You know, this might be awkward, but the only way to like get through that awkwardness is to just jump in the pool and do it. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, mm. good cool. luck. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wish Best you a of lot luck. Of good luck and love. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. We love you. We support you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I, I do. Yeah. <laughs> Liz, is there anything you want to plug? Upcoming shows, social oh, media handles? Um, well, on Instagram, I'm at Liz Glazer. Um, I also do at Penny Project, which um, is a strange, perhaps, art project that I've done since uh, 2012 that now has become well, what it I used to be. It. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's been a while since I've posted, uh, but I've been finding fortunes on the ground. So I'm thinking of changing the handle to found fortune because both coins and like fortunes from fortune cookies are both found fortunes. Um, but, uh, anyway, so I'm, I'm discoverable there and Twitter is at Elizabeth Glazer. I don't tweet that much and I'm Liz Glazer on Facebook. Um, and then in terms of shows, uh, I mean, I do, yeah, I mean, I do shows like almost every day, uh, in LA or New York and I'm discoverable, online, uh, with those shows. So there's nothing like specific to plug mm-hmm. right now. Um, dearlizglazer.com is my website. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Go see her live so you can experience uh-huh. what I was talking about earlier. Thank you. Uh, and then you can also follow us at Diking Out on all the handles. Sarah York is back on Instagram. Woo! Sure am at the Sarah York. Nice. Yay. Keep sending me weird DMs. <laughs> 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 I like it. It's cool. Our listeners are so thirsty for Sarah's <laughs> Instagram. It oh, is, God. It is great. I, I'm just, I'm going to disappoint the shit out of all of you. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, follow us at Diking Out. If you have a question, email us, dikingout at gmail.com. You can also follow me at TGI Carolyn on social Woo. medias. And thanks for Diking Out with us this week. Dike Out with us again. All right. Bye. Yeah, thanks Bye. for having me. Bye. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.